and I needed to know what was wrong. I had to find out what that was. And something I wanted to have is no toxic cleaning products. Just because you have brain change doesn't mean you can't still do things. You may do it differently. You might need more time. I decided to turn my disability into my ability, and around 7th and 8th grade, I started playing able-bodied sports. If we were knowledgeable, if we were educated, we would have solved science early. You battle, and you battle for every single inch of health. A New Perspective, hosted by Tim Sutton. This broadcast is produced by Griffo Productions. Brought to you by A Better Understanding, giving you a better understanding. Hey everybody, this is Tim Sutton with A New Perspective. Uh, coming from Virginia, um, just coming to share some information for you. Uh, if you. If you haven't seen the show or heard anything about me, I'm actually a retired law enforcement officer, 34 years and um, have spent the past 20 or so years uh, as an officer working with a lot of families dealing with Alzheimer's, other forms of dementia, autism, intellectual disabilities, and, and pretty much disabilities in general, which I prefer to call differabilities, um, because everybody has abilities. It's just some people do things a little differently. Uh, so uh, a new perspective, just give you a new perspective on uh, individuals that are going through some of these uh, uh, issues with differabilities, the families, and to highlight people who are making an impact in the, that community. Um, if you're not aware, I've got a uh, nonprofit here in the Richmond area of Virginia that I work with, thebetterunderstanding.org. And uh, we actually had a party last weekend. It was a dance party, a summer party for those with differabilities. Uh, it doesn't matter what the age is or anything, but we have parties for people uh, we had a lot of group homes, families come and uh, just enjoy the dance party food. Uh, Wegmans grocery store actually provided the food for us, as well as uh, all stood up catering here in Mechanicsville, Virginia, or King William, Virginia, uh, supplied the food. And we just had a great time dance party. Uh, it was a success. And we're looking forward to our next party for Christmas on December 10th. Uh, so if you're here locally and you're interested in coming, please uh, go to a betterunderstanding.org look on there, register, because we need to know how many people are coming and be prepared for everybody. So today, uh, what I wanted to do is uh, I was introduced to a lady uh, actually out in Colorado, and uh, we got to talk on the phone for a while, and we actually had a very long conversation, but her name is Kathy Miracle, and she's a consultant for senior living and also a dementia specialist. Uh, and, and it was amazing listening to a lot of things she does uh, and, and a lot of the work she does and having a conversation with her and a lot of the things she teaches and tries to relate to individuals and families uh, about dementia is a lot of the same stuff that I teach uh, when I travel around and, and, and train officers, train public safety or anybody that'll listen on understanding the behaviors related to uh, Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. So what I'd like to do is uh, bring her on and let everybody meet her and just have a little discussion on what she does. And hopefully everybody can leave here having learned something new. Kathy, thank you for coming. Thank you, thank you for having me. I appreciate you being here. And I, yeah, it was interesting when we got on the phone, it's just, we talked and talked and talked and talked. Mm -hmm. And it was like, wow, this is somebody on the other side of the country that uh, does what I do in, in a different capacity. I know we talked about the law enforcement aspect and how difficult it is to break that wall down and get into trained law enforcement. And, and I've been successful to an extent, 
but hopefully this will open open some more doors for yourself as well as me. So tell us a little about you and how you got involved in uh, the area of elder care and, and dementia. Um, you know, that's a question I've been asked so much during my career. And um, I grew up here in Colorado and uh, I actually uh, didn't know my grandfather on my mom's side and my grandmother on my dad's side. And then I lost uh, my grand, my living grandmother, I lost 10 days before my 13th birthday. And the following year, I lost my grandfather five days before Christmas. So as a kid, you know, that's kind of devastating. Um, and my parents would tell me that I would just gravitate to older people in the neighborhood and grocery stores and churches. Um, and I just loved listening to them. I loved being a part of their world. And when I got into college, um, I was fortunate enough here in Colorado, in uh, University of Northern Colorado in Greeley, they had one of the top 10 gerontology programs in the nation. And so I got my master's degree through them. And I uh, started working with elderly people. And while I was going to college, I was a CNA in a nursing home on an Alzheimer's unit and fell in love with working with people with dementia of all types and just began to specialize in it over my career. And I have had the honor and privilege of taking care of so many individuals, families who entrusted their loved one to me and my team and learned so much about the dementia journey and how to help families navigate that. Right, right. Yeah, one thing I found, and you may have found the same thing, a lot of times when you teach or educate people on this, um, one thing I noticed is there seems to have been the family sometimes builds up a lot of anger because, you know, grandma or grandpa keep asking the same question, are they doing this? And when they do pass, there's still that, um, there's a little bit of anger in there. And I've taught many times because, you know, long, it doesn't matter what your profession is, you're gonna either be personally or professionally affected by it somehow. Mm -hmm. uh, and usually my classes, I find probably 99% of the class uh, audience, I, I guess, has been affected. They may not share it right away. But many times I finish the classes and they come up and they say, you know, the information you gave me has given me closure because there was a lot of anger in the family and we just didn't know what was going on. We thought grandma or grandpa was trying to push our buttons, but you've really given me closure. Do you find that a lot in uh, as you educate people? Yes. In fact, one of the things that I start off by educating people is about Kubler-Ross's five stages of greeting. And most people that applies to when someone passes in their life. However, it truly applies when uh, someone's going through the dementia journey because people initially are in denial and then they get angry and they're depressed and they bargain. And then at some point there is finally acceptance. However, when I started applying those five uh, stages of grieving to dementia, families tend to um, calm, not calm down, but they tend to now, oh, how that, there's a new light coming in. Now I know why I feel this way. Okay. Well, if at the point somebody is diagnosed, um, what is one of the first things you would share with the family as they start that journey in dealing with dementia? Um, one of the, and I'm sure doctors tell them this, of course, I've come across so many conversations where I'm like, oh, you didn't get told this. So I tell, I families, tell families immediately, immediately like, like, have your legal have your paperwork, legal paperwork in, in order. Um, I tell them to uh, make sure you have a safety net. You know, if you're going to try to care for somebody at home, you can't do it all by yourself 24 seven. It becomes too exhausting and too overwhelming too quickly. And so I make sure that, you know, have your network of people, have, um, 
you know, have a plan in place. I, I just had a conversation yesterday with a good friend and I said, right now when it's calm, gather information about senior livings and go visit them and tour them and let the person come with you because then they have some empowerment. I said, I have dealt with so many crises across my career. And I said, typically nobody makes a good decision during a crisis and they get frustrated and it's, it becomes a safety issue. So I usually map out a plan for families and take, take classes, classes and educate, and educate yourself, yourself. Um, and then be able to ask, no question is a silly question. So ask, 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 and find out who your solid resources are in your community. Well, that's, that's good. Yeah. I have uh, found that while there are some pretty awesome doctors out there, sometimes, they're just not, they're not given a lot of information on what to understand. And it's interesting because I was asked to come speak at a hospital one time by the nursing uh, class. The president asked me to come and uh, I had it all scheduled and I was in Dallas teaching and about a week before I got an email and said, uh, our administration to hospital has met and you're not welcome to come here to teach anything or speak about anything. Uh, they said they already cover mental health issues. And I'm thinking, okay, well, dementia, Alzheimer's is not a mental health issue. Uh, Alzheimer's is an actual disease. Uh, and autism, which I also teach, is not a mental health disorder. It's a cognitive disorder, but sometimes people have mental health disorders as well. And I said, you know, let your administration know, you know that when they do have that unfortunate situation happen, once the lawsuit's over with, I'll be glad to come talk to him because I know a lot of them are looking, okay, he's a police officer. Why do we need him coming into a medical atmosphere to teach us anything? And mm -hmm. you and I discussed on the phone how difficult it is for somebody on the outside to get into law enforcement or public safety to do the training. So there's that wall there. Um, mm -hmm. What kind of struggles you know, have you seen in trying to get into train public safety? Because we were, well, when I was an officer, I, we were responding on call after call that were related to a form of dementia. And officers would go in and handle the situation as best as they were trained. Mm -hmm. But like I told you, we don't, we, no, you don't know what you don't know if you haven't been taught about mm -hmm. dementia and how to interact and how to handle some of the behaviors. Um, you revert back to training, you do your best job, but our job should be to go in there and do it as effectively as possible. What struggles or barriers have you found in that area? Very similar. Um, I have, I think because I worked in healthcare, I mean, senior living kind of gets put into that healthcare world. I haven't had as difficult of time uh, talking with doctors or uh, medical staff. Um, in fact, I, because of the knowledge I have um, in it, I actually have been asked to do a couple of things. Our biggest challenge has been emergency personnel, like trying to get in to talk to police officers or firefighters or um, you know EMT paramedics. I, I was lucky enough uh, at one point in time when I had a paramedic team bringing a resident to me. We were admitting a resident from the hospital and um, they brought him with me and they walked him all the way back to the room. I mean, he was on the, the bed and they took him all the way back to the room and helped get him off and helped get him into uh, bed and everything. And then we were walking out and one of them stopped me and asked me, do you do training for EMTs and paramedics? And I said, I absolutely can. And she said, because I've learned more from you in the about eight minutes that we've been together than I ever have in my career. So I was lucky enough to, uh, to be able to develop a really strong relationship, but it was with one 
entity. It wasn't, it didn't spread out to other, you know, ambulance services in the Denver metro area. Um, and I'd never been able to get into train police officers or firefighters. And they're just a whole heck of a lot more different. And I, I want to respect, you know, what, how they feel, because I don't want them to ever feel like they're being forced into it. So I've definitely had the struggles in trying to uh, help them understand what this world is all about. Yeah, I think if you and, I, and I've told a lot of families when you teach this to law enforcement, um, sometimes it helps if you have somebody, an officer up there with you uh, who is passionate as passionate about the topic. So it, it unfortunately, it, it's a shame it's like this, but it adds credibility to that person as to why those officers need to understand it. And I'd encourage you to try to find, uh, you know, all those officers out there. I'm not the only one. There are a bunch of uh, officers out across the country teaching this to have a passion for it. Mm -hmm. um and try to find or connect with some officer somewhere mm -hmm. who could probably help get you into those different locations you know i've worked with a company up in new hampshire the training response network who does a lot of police training and have been able to do some videos uh three hour autism three hours uh alzheimer's dementia the training is available um it's just getting them to recognize the fact that they they need it so yeah. just keep plugging along. Sooner or later, you're going to find some officer out there who, who can maybe get you in some places. Just keep knocking on those doors and, and trying to get in. Yep, that's uh, great it, advice. It's definitely needed. So, yeah, over my years, I've run across a lot of issues um, that families are dealing with. And again, doctors are great doctors out there, but there's some things that just happen where the families don't know what to do. And one of them, how do you deal with the eating issue? How do you, you know, when, when grandpa keeps saying they won't feed me, they won't feed me, uh, when in fact they just had breakfast or they just had lunch. Uh, or uh, one lady I met, one of the first things her brain forgot to, how to do was to tell her how she, tell her she was hungry. Mm -hmm. She never wanted to eat. So the family was dealing with that struggle. And when I walked in one day, unfortunately, she would not stay in a chair. She would sit down in front of the food and want to get up. And it, they had a bed sheet holding her to the chair. So she didn't get up and I'm like, yeah, you can't do that. You, you do that. cannot do that. You can't restrain her. Um, but what would your advice to be, be whether they are eating too much, forgetting that they ate and they just keep eating or they don't want to eat? Um, so if, when someone eats too much, um, what we've done, what I have done and what I've encouraged families to do is so often in our society, we're so used to continuing to treat that individual dementia the way they've always been treated. So if dad always had two eggs, you know, four slices of bacon, hash browns or whatever, you know, they're still serving that size of plate. And so what I usually tell families is, serve half of it. You know, if you know they're going to ask for it, serve half of it. And then in an hour they go, I'm hungry. I haven't had breakfast. Well, let me make you some, you know, and then you serve the other half of it. So they're still getting a full portion. They're just getting it in smaller bits is what I tell them. When families, where families get frustrated is when they're serving two huge breakfasts and then they're worried about the person getting weight or that there's something uh, that might trigger something with their a diabetes or heart condition or something. So once you start serving smaller portions, I typically have never seen a person with dementia push back like, well, that's only one egg. I usually get two eggs. I don't, that, that doesn't, they don't go to that mindset. They just have breakfast in front of them. So if you serve smaller portions more frequently um, and have things in the refrigerator that you can quickly heat up so you're not constantly cooking, um, then that helps too. For the person who doesn't, like the brain tells them not to, that they're not hungry. Um, what we try to cater to then is uh, the sweet taste bud is the last taste bud to go. 
And so the first thing, you know, if you can, and, and I tell families all the time, if someone is like 90 pounds soaking wet, you know, as long as they're eating something and getting caloric intake, then great, you know. Um, and one of the things I did, I had a little lady who came to me and they told me she's coming to you to die. She was 72 pounds um, and she was on a puree diet, which pureed diets are awful for people because the food's not appetizing. People eat with their eyes before they eat with their taste buds. And so we had, uh, she was on uh, additional supplement, like Ensure or Glucernid, something like that. And I told the family only bring me vanilla. And then we took vanilla and used it as a base. And we added ice cream. We added, we had strawberries and bananas. We had blueberry. Uh, we made three different smoothies, three different ways. My staff got really creative in looking for smoothie recipes. And this little lady went from 72 pounds to 88 pounds in six weeks. And so we just had fancy glasses with umbrellas in it. And she had three different shakes every day on top of what we were feeding her. Uh, finger foods and something they can hold in their hand and walk around um, is also helpful. And so we try to add just a little bit of that sweet flavor to anything that they're eating and so that they'll want to eat. Um, a chef of mine came across a, a fascinating discovery a few years ago, and it was something called Miracle Berries. You can actually order these on Amazon, and it enhances the sweet taste bud in your mouth, thus it enhances the flavors. Um, in your food. And I had residents, we did a study with it in a building of mine. And um, we had um, about five people who either maintained their weight or gained weight um, throughout the study. And we had one person who kept licking his plate and wanted seconds. And so it's, a, it's an amazing discovery. And they're not, they're not cheap. It's about a dollar a pill is what it is. And so it, um, but it does help people want to eat. It does help people uh, want to maintain weight. It's family, even like I've tried them and I was amazed at what my salad tasted like. Wow. That's amazing. And it's interesting that you, and I've never heard it put that way. You eat, you eat with your eyes before you eat with your mouth because yep. you, you're seeing how appealing it all and the, the visual aspect. And believe it or not, I've gone back and I've actually watched some of your webinars and uh, it's interesting to hear you bring up things in there that I teach because it, it feels like it validates what I'm trying to get out there for officers. And one of them was the visual aspect and a lot of times the depth perception and a lot of times where officers get involved with Alzheimer's or dementia is the wandering. And you brought up the fact, and I always teach class, you know, suggest to these families that they put a black rug or a black mat in front of a door. Uh, mm -hmm. any exit to, to the residence or wherever they're living. And uh, mm -hmm. sometimes that will deter them because they will look at it and think it's a hole. It sounds weird, mm -hmm. um, but I don't, you know, I'm sure their doctor's giving that information, but some of the things you're telling and you're teaching and educating people on and, and I'm doing are things they're, you know, you wonder sometimes do the doctors even know this to pass on to people? I don't, True. I don't know. I, I will tell people, I, 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 it's amazing to me how many times I've seen families, like the, even the color of the plate or the color of what the drinking glass is. Um, because if you think about white plates and mashed potatoes on white plates, they just blend. The person can't see them, so they're not going to eat them. Or if they have a yellow plate and corn, you know, it's just going to blend into it. The best plates to use really are red plates um, or navy blue plates because there's so much contrast for the food that they can actually see it. You even brought up a white coffee cup with the, you know, black coffee in it. it, yep. it 
just might not appear to be something that they're going to, or, or something that's in there that they want to drink. Uh, Correct. Yeah. And I found, I found that very interesting. You also mentioned the thresholds. What I noticed with my dad dealing with his Parkinson's and the dementia related to his Parkinson's, the floor could be, you know, the transition of the floors and those thresholds, whether or not there's a rise in elevation or anything, there was nothing in my mom and dad's house, but it was just that line. And, Mm-hmm. He would hesitate before he tried to go over it be- and he would step up mm-hmm. because he didn't, he couldn't perceive, he couldn't understand that transition. And yeah, he right. would hesitate right. and hesitate and think about it. Okay. How do I cross this threshold? Even though there was no change in height. And I, I can only imagine you know, he didn't have any stairs in the house, but I can only imagine steps and stairs uh, dealing with that stuff. And that's going to ultimately cause more injuries. Correct. I, uh, a, a memory care community that I took over a couple of years ago, one of the first things I always look at is injuries and different things. They had had uh, just over 700 falls in a 12-month period of time. And I I was like, oh my gosh. So then when we started looking at it, um, because they fill out an incident, a staff will fill out an incident report about where it was. Was it in their room? Was it outside? Where is it? What? Where it was? And more often than not, this community happened to have very hard, dark walnut hardwood floors in their dining area, and they had very beige, ivory-like carpet in their um, living room area. And more falls happened in those areas. There was two different neighborhoods. More falls happened when fam- when people were trying to get to a meal or leave a meal or go to an activity uh, than anywhere else in the building. And I, I was just kind of like, okay, I know we can't replace flooring. However, we kind of need to do something because when you have over 700 falls in a 12 month period of time, there's a problem. Yeah, there's an issue. And, and the thing is, I, I don't, people don't think about it, but you bring up something as simple as, okay, the difference in the texture or the look of it. And then it makes all the sense in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's these little tidbits of information that the average person doesn't think about, uh, the families don't think about. And mm-hmm. I've been amazed how many times I've had to sit with care partners uh, at the kitchen table. And I've got a timeline that I do when I teach and show them that what Alzheimer's dementia kind of, you know, if you met one, you met one. I mean, every single person is mm-hmm. different, but there's a general progression where many of them are losing that short term memory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you go through this diagram and erase that memory, they're like, that's why they do this. That's why my mm-hmm. husband thinks I'm, you know, so-and-so or this person, or they don't recognize the children. And my dad, and you talk also in your webinar about how in the beginning, the first stage, I know you break the seven stages down to three, but in the early stage, they're able to mask a lot of it. And I remember my dad, mm-hmm. I've got twin girls, and it got to the point where he wouldn't call them by name, but he would always want to know uh, where those girls are. Mm-hmm. And it's subtle things that you don't pick up on uh, that they do. And when you look back, knowing more about it, you're like, yeah, there were the signs all along. Do you mm-hmm. run across a lot of families as you go through this go, you know what? You're right. They did this. They did this. They did this. Um, if I'd only known. Mm-hmm. I, I do. I, I mean, there's, I have so many families who will say, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have you know, known what to look for. And one of the first things I will tell families is, um, people be almost become a post-a-note person. They're leaving notes to themselves everywhere. Um, and if it's not something that, if that's out of character for them, then there's something going on. Uh, I remember a son who had come home for the holidays and his dad was literally eating bread and water and bills hadn't been paid. And he was super shocked. And he said, I don't get it. I call him every week and we talk. And I went, 
let me tell you how that conversation goes. He asks you how you're doing. You talk for 10 minutes. He, he asks you how your wife is. He asks you how work is. He asks you how the kids are. And by that time, you know, 30 minutes has gone by and he's like, well, I know you're busy. I'll talk to you next week. And his mouth dropped open. He goes, how did you know that he actually had a checklist on his table next to his recliner where he had specific questions? And I said, because people early on learn to develop different coping mechanisms to continue to survive day to day and sometimes hour to hour. The problem becomes like when they get into an environment that they're not familiar with, you get in a car to go to a doctor's office and somehow they get lost and take a wrong turn and the next thing you know, they're in the next state and you're getting a crisis phone call. So for families, I just kind of talk to them. And, and part of the problem is, is if we do stop and catch it, we do stop if mom or dad are kind of seemed a little bit confused and you say, are you, are you okay? And they'll go, you know, it's just been such a busy week and I haven't had a lot of sleep. And they, and because that happens to us in our daily lives, we're taking care of parents, we're taking care of kids, we're at our height of our career. We help excuse it away. We go, oh yeah, I haven't had much sleep too. I can understand why you're tired. Instead of stopping and saying, how often is this happening? Is this, was mom getting this confused like once a week or is it once, you know, what's happening? And families don't stop and take the time to recognize that maybe we need to ask some questions. The good news is at this point though, Medicare has come out and cognitive assessments are mandatory now at annual exams for elderly people. And so I think that will start helping people identify challenges early on. That's awesome. It's it's interesting that you say, oh, they drive to the doctor because so many families are scared to take their driver's license away. The per or the person thinks they can drive. Oh, they only and the family says, oh, they only take short trips. I only take short trips, but you don't know when that short trip is. They're going to miss that turn, and it's going to turn into a long trip. And yep. bringing it back to the post-it notes, I was actually in Roanoke, Virginia, training some officers. And you know, police officers, we get paid to be nosy, so we look around and try to figure <laughs> things out. Well, one of the officers said two weeks before the class I taught, he had pulled an uh, elderly gentleman over, was weaving down the road, um, pulled him over, went up, talked to him. He knew where he was, he was able to say where he was coming from, where he was going. Uh, no sign of anything until the officer looked in at the dashboard and there were two post-it notes. The one on the left said break and the one on the right said gas. And, and luckily that officer, the light bulb went off and he was like, wait a minute, something's just not right. Mm -hmm. But it's easy for it, officers who are not trained or people who don't understand it to overlook a lot of those things. Because the last thing you want to do is send him on his way. Next thing you know, he ends up the wrong way on the interstate mm -hmm. and hits somebody head on. And mm -hmm. you're always hearing in the news how there was a head on collision here on this interstate. And it was all it, they believe it was a medical issue or a cognitive issue. Mm -hmm. um, so that's that's just another reason why it's imperative to get out there and have officers be a little more observant. But if they don't know what they're looking for, the little telltale signs, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I tell people a lot of times when you ask somebody, hey, what's your date of birth? Well, that's long term memory. They're going to yeah, remember correct. their date of birth. But if correct. you can follow right. it up later on with, well, how old did you say you were? Mm -hmm. And they told you 1946 was when they were born. And they say they're 35. Okay, we've got something. We've got to, we, we need to dig a little deeper. So it's a lot of those simple things you can do as officers. Um, and, and, you know, I hope, I hope you fight and fight and fight, and I'll do everything I can for you uh, and with you to help you get into that law enforcement area. I know it's difficult even for an officer, um, but, you know, I think if, if, if there's anything I can do to help you get in that area, please feel free to reach out to me. Um, and I, you need to be heard. 
You well, thank her. you. Thank you so much. I've, I've enjoyed, uh, I have been blessed in my career to work with some amazing families and families who have taught me a lot about it and given me guidance as well that I use later on for other families. And I'm constantly, it, it's, it's not, and even to the people I've grown up with are now their parents in that situation. So I don't think a week goes by that I don't get contacted by somebody that there's a situation and that they, they want some advice, they want some guidance. And um, the problem with our baby boomers, you know, the, the problem is only going to continue to get worse. It's not going to get better. We don't we don't really have an end in sight right now. Oh, the numbers are going to be crazy. About 2050, the numbers are going to yep. be astronomical. And, yep. you know, luckily yep. there are people out there like you and, and you know, all of your colleagues that are doing, and I'm trying to do what I can, um, but anything I can do, definitely uh, reach out. Now, if anybody wanted to contact you to get more information to find out what you're doing or try to get you to speak, or, you know, I'm sure you travel all over the place talking and speaking, sharing your knowledge. What's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, email, email or phone is really the best way to uh, reach out to me. My email address is K-M-I-L-L-E-R dot A-C-E-S at gmail.com. And my phone number is 720-308-5359. Wow. Okay. Well, if there's one piece of advice, one major piece of advice you would give a family going through the struggle of dealing with dementia, what would that piece of advice be? Um, Don't do it alone. You know, I, I've seen so many fam- when families have told us, gosh, you guys are angels. I can't believe to do this. And I go, because nobody in this building does it 24 seven by themselves. They, you know, we have three different shifts. We help each other out. We take out. So I would tell families, don't don't do this alone. Find a network of people who can give you a break. Um, find people who you can bring in to give you a break. Look, get educated. Know who the Alzheimer's Association is. Know who the Alzheimer's Foundation is. Look for those resources in your community because um, it is very challenging for a person to take care of somebody all by themselves and breathe. And you know. said, yeah, those care partners suffer just as much as the person going through. Yep, absolutely. So, Kathy, thank you. Thank you for being here and spending some time with me. And, and I think we can definitely do this again, uh, depending on your schedule and my new schedule. But uh, you need to be heard. So I, ho- I hope to have you back sometime soon. I'd love to be back. I'm so appreciative for this opportunity. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, Kathy. All right. Have a great day. Talk to you soon. Everybody, I hope uh, hope you gained a little information on uh, understanding dementia and and understand what the care partners are going through as well. Kathy is a great resource. Please reach out to her. Reach out to me. My contact information, uh, tim-sudden.com is my website. Um, And again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, everybody is going to either be professionally or personally affected by uh, Alzheimer's, some other form of dementia. And I just appreciate everybody being here to listen to hear what we have to say. So thank you for watching. And dad, I love you.